Uh, let's pray together. We've got prayer requests that we've, uh, we've uh, gathered here in the room. And if you have prayer requests there that you're joining us uh, on the stream, just post those. Uh, if you're on YouTube, you know, you can post that in the comments and I'll be happy to pray for you. If you see it on my Facebook page, just post your prayer request right there underneath it on the Facebook page. So uh, I won't be able to pray with you this moment because I can't pay attention to that. However, uh, I can certainly pray for you once this is over and you'll know you're being prayed for. All right. So let's pray together now. Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus and I ask that uh, you will be with these that we have uh, asked uh, prayer requests for here in the room, that uh, you will assure them that you are uh, on the job, that you are in the business of answering prayer, that you know what we need before you, we even ask you. And sometimes you don't answer the way we would like for you to answer. Um, sometimes uh, you want us to do things more quickly than we're willing. Sometimes you're not acting uh, as quickly as we would like, but I do believe that you are in the business of answering and uh, we need to be in the business of praying and trusting you. And I pray you'll open up your word tonight that we will receive it and uh, we will allow it to change us. So pray in Jesus' name, amen. Yes, as a matter of fact, I was uh, mentioning to the people here in the room earlier uh, about our situation in our building. We're trying to figure out how we're gonna stay here. And one of the issues has been the air conditioning. Um, they replaced, the landlords replaced an air conditioning unit upstairs about two months ago. And then they just replaced one that goes for this building down here uh, last Saturday. So guess what happened today? The unit that they replaced was not cooling. And I thought, oh mercy, the last thing I need to be doing is calling these landlords and tell them this unit that they just spent $10,000 on is not cooling. So I just started praying. I was like, Lord, I don't even wanna deal with this. I just, you know, they already, you know, or have a lot on their plate, like a lot of people. And uh, so <laughs> I did what you do with your computer or anything. If it's not working, what do you do? You turn it off and you let it rest and then you turn it back on. <laughs> so that's what I did. I just turned it off and then I, I, I turned the power of the other one off, you know, just turned the temperature up so they would stop. And then I just went and turned the power off to them. <laughs> and then I went over intrinsic because their AC works. And then I came back, turned the power back on, turned it back on. <laughs> Working now, <laughs> answer to prayer. <laughs> I was like, Lord, please, this is, and it's not like, oh, I'm hot, I can't stand it. No, it's, man, I don't wanna bring this to their attention, right? I don't wanna bring more problems in their lap. I'd rather do without, I would have rather done without both of these AC units, frankly, than you know to deal with the possibility that, you know, our rent is gonna get doubled and we won't be here. So um, yeah, I say that to say God answers all kinds of prayers and we just gotta keep praying, amen? All right, so we're gonna be in um, 1 Corinthians chapter seven. We've gotten about a third of the way through the chapter. It's a fairly long chapter. I've titled this overall study in First and 2 Corinthians, God's dysfunctional people. We often hear about dysfunctional families. I think virtually every family is dysfunctional these days. Um, but it just means troubled, right? Uh, this is a congregation that had a lot of problems. And the Apostle Paul went through several of those problems. He began with the, the problem that they were fighting with each other and they were dividing into groups. And then he talked about the problem of a man who was uh, having sexual relations with his father's wife. This would, be, would have been his uh, stepmother. Um, 
And uh, then he just talked about sexual immorality, period, which would have been a problem in Corinth. That gets us all the way to chapter six. And then in chapter seven, where we started last week, he starts answering questions that they have asked. The first question that they asked, it was about marriage. Um, really, there was a strong um, expectation and an expectation, honestly, that we should have, even though it's been a long time, but a strong expectation that Jesus was going to return right away. And, you know, that the kingdom of God then was going to come to earth and things would be radically different. And so the, that expectation was leading them to say, we need to just not put our roots down here, right? We need to be looking toward that and we need to not be worrying so much about the things that we used to worry about. Well, see, that's still the case. And we need to be in the, the, the habit, I would say, of believing that Jesus could come back any day. I don't think people believe that anymore. You know, there used to be this saying that, uh, you know, church people, you're just so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Anybody ever hear that? Like, now nobody's heavenly minded. People are so worldly minded, they're no heavenly good, right? So we're just living in a different era. And that doesn't mean that people, uh, you know, cannot be, I think the word these days is mindful, be mindful, which is, uh, Miss Mary, uh, it's what you would say, give attention. You need to give attention to that. That's what I would say, you need to pay attention, right? Because oftentimes our, our, you know, we're just thinking somewhere else. So, you know, we're on this and we're walking around and, you know, we're not paying attention. We're not mindful. But um, yeah, that can be the case and we can be constantly distracted even by spiritual things, if you want to call them spiritual things, religious things. But the reality is if you're paying attention to Jesus, right, as he's leading you by the Holy Spirit, he's going to keep you in the moment, right? Jesus is the one that said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough worries of its own. You're supposed to be focused on where you're at and you're supposed to be taking care of that business and entrusting the Lord with it. Um, the scripture says that he knows the number of hairs on your head. It says he is present when a sparrow falls from the sky. Now, Texas, I really don't see any sparrows. Maybe, maybe they have sparrows somewhere. But when I was in Phoenix in Arizona, we had a lot of sparrows. I mean, a lot of sparrows. And he'd, actually, <laughs> you know, it'd be like Jesus, if he was in Garland, he would say, the Lord is present when a grackle falls from the sky. Because we got a lot of those grackles, man. They're just goodness gracious, there's so many of them, right? And, and the Lord cares about all of those, you know, all those things. And so if that's the case, then he cares about you and he cares about me. So uh, we looked at these issues. The first question was, you know, whether you should get married or not. You're, you're not married, should you get married? Um, that was the, the very first question uh, in verse one. Let's go back up to that. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Um, now, the only time that a Christian would even ask that question would be in the context of marriage. There is no sexual interaction outside of marriage if you're going to follow Jesus. Now, I know our culture has dramatically changed, and it's not just sexual relationships, you know, with the opposite sex. Now it's just wide open, whatever, whenever, wherever. That's not the way that God has designed us relationally and Really, it's not the way he's even designed us physically. That's just not the way you're wired, right? So, um, you know, he, he went through this entire discussion about, oh, you know, whether you should uh, be married or not be married. And he basically said, most of you should be married because you can't 
uh, stay pure. But uh, as Jesus said, uh, God gives some people the ability to simply be, quote, what he called eunuchs, right? That doesn't mean there's be any physical damage, uh, but it does mean that people are able to, through this, what's been called this gift of celibacy, to maintain themselves and not to act out, right? So the Apostle Paul said, no, that's good, but honestly, you, you really need to be married and you need to uh, take care of your, your intimacy needs with your wife, with your husband, and y'all don't need to be depriving each other unless it is for the purpose of focusing on the Lord for prayer, but then you need to immediately come back together again. So he's saying, I know what you're like. He said, then because of that, this is what you need unless you have this gift. He said, now, I wish that everybody were like me. This is verse seven. Uh, I wish that all were as I am, but each has his own gift from God, one, uh, one of one kind, one of another. Right? And then he talks to unmarried folks and to widows, uh, unmarried meaning those that have never been married or perhaps those that have been divorced and widows. And he says, it's good for you to remain single. Uh, but if they can't exercise self-control, once again, he says they should marry, for it is better to marry than burn with passion. Verse 10, now he gives uh, advice to the married. To the married, I give this charge, and then he says, not I, but the Lord. So we go back and we did look at Jesus' command about this. Jesus basically says marriage is permanent. See, that's where we started going wrong. No fault divorce. Marriage is not permanent. Now, we know lots of things can go wrong. You can be keeping your end of the covenant and the other person not. So once again, I am not trying to get in everybody's business, make you feel bad if you've been through a divorce or two. The point is that is not God's plan. And we need to stop changing God's plan to suit us because we're not changing God at all. All we're doing is messing things up. If you wanna know what's gone wrong, this is what's gone wrong. People won't stay married, they won't be faithful to each other, they don't honor each other. Men are not acting like men, women are not acting like women, as the scripture teaches. And so everybody's confused. And the family, which is, it's even more foundational than church, right? Right, the church is the family of God, but God started with family. And I'm gonna tell you right now, the people who are seeking to take over this country, and they're Marxists is what they are, they do not like the family because the family passes along values. They wanna pass along the values. That's why we're all addicted to social media and these values are getting passed along through social media, right? Things that would never have flown in a family, right? Where there's a father there and a mother there and the father's disciplining the kids, it's happening all over the place now. Um, uh, Pastor Craig was just telling me in their middle school, these kids apparently, they're all on TikTok, right? That's the latest thing. These little videos that they all watch, okay? And there are these quote unquote TikTok challenges. And some of them are remarkably foolish, right? And it reminds me of, you know, the, the more harmless version of this was back in the Facebook days. Uh, you remember the ice water challenge? You know, everybody was, and I'm doing this for blah, blah, blah. And then someone throws ice water on and whatever. Okay, that's relatively harmless. But there's ridiculous TikTok challenges as well that are destructive. You know, you got kids eating Tide Pods, right? Um, you got people climbing these uh, plastic containers. Have you seen this? I've only seen pictures of it, but people are stacking up these, these plastic, you know, those plastic boxes, like, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know, what, what, what are they hauling them? You know, I think 
like bread or milk or stuff like that, those, those hard plastic boxes. And people are stacking them up and then they're walking up them to see how high they can go before they fall, right? Well, apparently there is a destructive TikTok challenge out for kids now, or I say it's, it can be destructive to them, but it's destructive to their schools where they're messing up bathrooms. And so Craig's an assistant principal at a middle school and they had four bathrooms with toilets overflowing yesterday. And guess who gets to do that? And these kids think they're cute. Do you think that that would fly if those kids had a parent at home that would whoop their little butt? I'm on guarantee, but see, this is the problem. Nobody disciplines these kids and the school can't do anything. They won't let them suspend them anymore. They're brats. They're not being raised by parents. They're being raised by TikTok, right? They're being raised by each other. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. God established the family and we need to stay behind that. Whatever your personal experience has been. And I will tell you that the, probably the primary reason that I'm not married is because I saw my mom go through so much tribulation in divorce, right? Five different times. And I just, I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that not going to have it. I'll deal with the problems of being single before I'm going to deal with that because you've got to have somebody that you can absolutely, completely, and totally trust. And there's not been anybody that I am attracted to in any event that I feel that way about. So, you know, that's me. I'm just saying this situation that I'm talking about is not just me saying, y'all need to get right or something. Uh, it's what I've experienced as well. And so, you know, the result is uh, I don't have a bunch of children out there that are causing problems and whatnot. I don't have a, you know, a, a bunch of women that I've jilted that feel terrible and, you know, want to kill me or something. Um, I, I've tried to do what I'm supposed to do and do it right. Um, so then uh, he talks about uh, people that are not married. He says, you know, I wish you wouldn't get married, but if you need to, that's fine. And then the people that are married, he says, no, marriage, this is what Jesus taught. Marriage is permanent. Don't separate. Don't divorce. God hates divorce. That's not God's plan. Now, again, the other person commits adultery, then they have violated the marriage vows, right? Um, there should still be an, an effort made to get the, get the marriage right. But if you can't, they've violated the marriage vows. But see, then Paul goes to the next level, and Jesus does too, and says, you shouldn't get remarried. Well, we don't want to hear any of that. We don't want to hear any of that at all. But see, the marriage covenant is permanent, right? Um, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. This is my solemn vow. That's the old Anglican, and that's what I put. If I officiate a wedding, that's what I do, right? I use that. They can, they can have uh, their own vows in there somewhere, but I want them to say those things because I want them to understand. Because, you know, people write their own vows and it's just, huh? I, okay. You, you realize your vow is your promise, right? I think that you're beautiful and I want to spend my life with you. And so you're not promising anything. I don't, I'm glad you think they're beautiful or you're getting married. So that's a good thing, right? So I let them put their own stuff in there, but we do that right? For richer, for poorer, for better, for worse, in sickness and in health, right? Uh, yeah, this is my solemn vow. 
All right, so let's get all the way down to verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So this is his precept, right, that he's trying to pass along. Verse 18, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. And in a moment, we'll discuss why that was important to them. We might be going, what? That's weird. But it wasn't weird for them. Verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when you were called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when he was called as, is a bondservant of Christ. Verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So we are all called to Christ where we are. Uh, the hymn that was very important to me as I was coming to faith in Jesus, you don't hear it much anymore, uh, was that old hymn, Just As I Am. You all ever hear that? Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. I'm just gonna say it, not sing it, or you'll all leave, right? And y'all will stop the YouTube. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, what that says is the way the Lord saves us, just as I am. Now, we often look at that related to, uh, you know, our, our moral decisions, right? That, you know, God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. But he also calls you just as you are, um, rich, poor, in a nice house, on the street, um, you know, you're, you know, you've got a, a job that has hourly wage or you've got a, a job that pays you a lot of money. He calls you as you are. And then he takes you and he shapes you and he molds you and he makes you. And it doesn't mean that he instantly wants someone to change jobs, uh, that he wants us to change social situations or anything like that, right? Um, he calls everybody, prostitutes, addicts, drug dealers, embezzlers, gossips, depressed, angry, hopeless, helpless, straight, gay, bisexual, transgender, Buddhist, Muslim, Jew, cultural Christians. Christ's call comes to us where we are. Now, the call is to come to him and to become more like Jesus. I can become more like Jesus as a stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad for that matter. I can become more like Jesus in whatever job I already have. So I was just talking to Pastor Craig on the phone. You know, they're really in need of teachers over there. You can become more like Christ as a teacher. You can become more like Christ as a hall monitor. You can become more like Christ as a janitor. You can become more like Christ as a principal or an assistant principal. You don't just move social situations because you got saved, right? Because it's just like moving the furniture around. You're still in the same house, right? It's who you brought into the house that matters, right? This is the house and you brought Christ into the house. That's what matters. Now you, you have a different approach to things. Um, so, you know, I gave my soul to Christ, but I'm still stuck in the same job, still married to the same person, still a student at the same school, still have the same debt, same challenges. How do I live the life I've been dealt down here? And that's what we're talking about tonight, 
right? He says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. See, the question you and I need to be asking is, what does God want me to do with where I am right now? So he's called me to follow Jesus. That's first. He's called me to be more like Christ. That's what I'm supposed to be. That's what I'm supposed to be doing down here, right? Uh, Rick Warren has the five purposes and that's great. And you know, you've got uh, other approaches to discipleship, but the reality is you're supposed to be become more like Jesus. That's what we're doing down here because Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. You've been adopted into the family of God and he's looking to have sons and daughters with him for eternity. So we can't drag our stinky lives up there into heaven. It's not gonna pass muster. It's not gonna pass the bar of Christ, right? So we need to start building the kind of eternal life that, that we're to be living out right now, down here. Um, so, um, but then beyond that, what, what has God called me to do or be? Listen, you don't want this job or that one. You don't wanna marry, you don't wanna remain single, you don't wanna move, you don't wanna stay where you are. You want God's will. Friend, that's what Jesus prayed in the garden, right? He said, you know, he was facing the cross. He knew that that's what he was called to do, was go to the cross for us. He also knew that that would be unbelievable, excruciating pain and suffering. He also knew that there would be this separation from the Father that he'd never experienced. And we don't even know how that works when it concerns the Trinity, but we do know that Jesus emptied himself uh, and became a bondservant, took the form of a human being and suffered as a human being and died on that cross. And that means he really died. You know, he was really beaten and he went through all of that, but he wasn't a masochist, right? He, he wasn't looking forward to this pain. He wasn't insane. So he cried out to the Father. And in fact, uh, Luke says that he sweat great drops of blood. Now there's a, a medical condition where the capillaries at the surface of the skin are broken when someone is under great stress, where blood literally comes out of your pores. That's an incredible amount of stress. And that's what Jesus was. He literally sweat blood, right? Um, and, but he prayed in the garden. He said, if this cup can pass from me, then let that be. If there's another way, then please let that happen. And then he paused. And then he said what we need to say all the time. Yet not my will, but thy will be done. Pray for what you want. Cry out to God about it. Sweat drops of blood about it. But in the end, you don't want your will. You want his will, amen? You need to align your will with his will. That's what we're trying to do down here, right? When I say become like Jesus, that's what it means to be like Jesus. Jesus perfectly aligned his will with God's will. He was always in perfect harmony with God. That's what we need to aim for at all times, in all things, right? So, um, you know, that that is uh, quite pertinent in our situation uh, in this building right now. You know, what are we supposed to do? We have been called to minister from this platform in downtown Garland. We came down here in 2004 and we bounced around in 2007. This building came available initially. We were going to lease it and then the Garland Opry came in. Actually, the Garland Opry had already been here, but the previous, the founders of the Garland Opry 
um, the, the lady, uh, her name was Jury Brasher, got sick. She got she had cancer, and so she was unable to do it any longer. So they were going to lease the building, and we came, and we were just about ready to sign the lease, and then this other lady came in, and her name she was country as day is long as the day is long. Her name was Jewel Clough sweet lady and she came in and she's going to restart the Opry and so they went with her and uh, so we went to her and we sublet from them so then this building looked a lot different back then right we didn't have these black chairs didn't have this carpet that needs to be replaced now we clean it all the time by the way Um, it had this old nappy blue carpet that actually I believe they pulled it up from the Plaza Theater and just brought it over here Right? The old candy counter from the Plaza Theater was over here. The old reach-in from the Plaza Theater was over here. You had all of these theater seats. You know, remember the old theater seats? You know, right? they, they pull down, the seat pulls down. But they were old, like you'd sit in one and like a spring would come up and grab your pants and rip a hole in them. And so uh, I found this, uh, this uh, carpet company and this lady was willing to sell us this carpet, which it used to look really good. It's $28 a yard home carpet. And she sold it to us for $8 a yard. We had someone who actually donated the money for these chairs. This is $4,500 worth of chairs. And they donated the money for us to buy these chairs. So we, we decked it out. We took the wall down out there and made it one big lobby. Uh, there was a wall in the back that divided uh, the back from one side to the other because they kind of used that differently back there as a dressing room. We took that out. So we've improved the building a lot. We've painted it. We've done all these things. And uh, so we came in here uh, on our own in 2009 because they couldn't keep doing the Opry. They tried it for a year and a half and they just couldn't do it. And then the upstairs came available in 2010 and I had people who left this church because we didn't have enough space for their kids. We used to do the kids ministry back there in the back room. And they said, and these were, these were well-established people in this church. And uh, the man came to me and said, yeah, we're going to have to look for another church because it's just too small back there. And I went, huh? Okay, I got to wake up here, right? I'd been doing this church all these years. I'm a single guy. And by that time, I had officiated a lot of weddings. So all of our formerly single people were now married. And, but not all of them had kids, but this family had kids. You know, they were a little, a little more established, I guess you would say that they'd been married a little longer. And uh, so that, yeah, that was a real wake-up call. Well, shortly, and I do mean within a couple of months after they left, had they stuck around, they would have seen, gosh, we got the whole upstairs. Um, We were able to get the upstairs. And so we've had the downstairs since 2009, the upstairs since 2010. And we have tried and tried and tried to make this a platform down here. We've done everything. We've done concerts. We've done plays and, uh, you know, all of this different stuff. We always participate in Christmas on the square. Uh, you know, we're in the Labor Day Parade. We were this year, but things are changing down here. Property values are going up. They're gonna tear up the square out there. And so now we're facing the possibility that we might not be here. If we're not, I don't know where we're gonna go. But you know what? Why did I go into all that detail? Because I'm trying to lay this down as a pattern for you. I don't wanna move and I don't wanna stay. I want to know what God's will is. That's what I want. Now, I will tell you, I don't want to move all this stuff, period. That's just too much. Oh, I, can, I don't even want to think about moving all this stuff. We're like well-established here. There's stuff in every nook and cranny of this building. I mean, yeah, if they're going to move us out of here, it's going to take us two months 
minimum just to get everything out of here. Uh, but then that means I got to have somewhere to move it. But in the end, I just want God's will. And it has been his will up to this point for us to be here and to have this platform in downtown Garland. So what are we going to do? I don't know. I'm praying and I hope you're praying or you will pray. But uh, more pertinent for you is what is God's will for you to stay, to go, to get this job or that job, uh, to go back to school. Uh, don't make these precipitate, rash decisions. Um, you know, no, I'm just going to quit my job and go back to school. And where's the money going to come from? Oh, the Lord will just do that. No, see, the Lord's going to provide all of it. Well, I'm just going to leave my husband because he's allowed and doesn't love Jesus. Okay? That's not what Jesus wants you to do. You, you need to, we need to stop moving before the Lord says move. And we don't, don't need to drag our heels and slow it down if the Lord, in fact, does say move. Okay? But that's the key, right? Um, we need to lead the life that the Lord has assigned and to which God has called him. What is that life? Well, let's look at this example from the scripture here, circumcision versus uncircumcision. He says, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision for neither circumcision counts for anything or uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Okay. Circumcision was not a medical question for these folks. It was a religious question. And it is in a lot of other places. Today, uh, it's a medical question. And uh, really, it is recommended often uh, by doctors to prevent STDs, particularly AIDS. Uh, in fact, that's one of the things that they're doing in countries that have a high incidence of AIDS is they're encouraging uh, mothers and fathers to have their boys circumcised. But it wasn't a medical question for the people of the first century. It was a religious and a social question. Jews circumcised their boys on the eighth day. Romans and those in the Hellenistic world did not. They thought that that was scarring. Now, you see that opinion in our culture today as well. Um, it used to be the dominant practice in hospitals that basically if you had a little boy, he's going to get circumcised. Now, it's decreasingly so, um, particularly among some ethnic groups that it's just like, you know, the Romans, that, that would be an ethnic group. Uh, Greek, uh, the Hellenistic culture, that's a cultural group. They were opposed to that. And, you know, there are people today that feel the same way. Um, many years before the Roman rule of Palestine, Prominent Jews sought to become more like their Hellenistic or Greek culture and found ways to hide their circumcision. I'll be honest, I'm not exactly sure how they pulled that off, but somehow they did. And this did not make the devout Jewish folks happy. At the time, the, uh, there was a Greek ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes, and he ruled from 175 to 164 B.C., and he forbade the practice of circumcision, even among the Jews. And then he shamefully and cruelly executed all who defied him, along with their baby boys. And listen to this account. Uh, so in uh, Bibles that are not Catholic Bibles, or really Catholic, the Catholic Church, uh, the Anglican Church, and the Orthodox Church all accept the Apocrypha 
right? These books in the middle of the Bible that relate to the intertestamental period. That is the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the period between Malachi and Matthew, in other words. Now, the reason that Protestant churches or churches that are non-Catholic don't accept those is because we don't believe that they were um, uh, inspired. We don't believe that they're not canonical. And you say, well, you know, why? How do you know? Well, you, you do know, but there's a long-standing tradition that goes back before the existence of the church. The Jews did not accept these books as canonical. They accepted them as books of history, but not canon. That is, uh, that they have the same authority as, you know, the other books in the Old Testament, for example, or for us, the books in the New Testament. But uh, there is a, uh, there are books in the Apocrypha that are historical in nature, and they're called the Maccabees, and they, they're named after this family, the, the Maccabeans, right? And in 1 Maccabees 1, 60 through 61, we find this about how Antiochus Epiphanes treated the Jewish people who circumcised their babies when he was in control. According to the decree, they put to death the women who had their children circumcised and their families and those who circumcised them. And they hung the infants from their mother's necks. This is deeply disturbing, right? And this is how opposed these Hellenists were to circumcision. Um, Antiochus came in and said, no, you're, you know, this is, this is wrong and you're not going to do this. So in spite of this, there were groups of Jewish Christians in Paul's day who went around demanding that anyone who became a Christian must be circumcised. And Paul dealt with that situation extensively in his other letters, notably Galatians. Uh, Jewish zeal to circumcise can also be seen in that same apocryphal book of 1 Maccabees, where we read that Matthias, who led the Jewish opposition to uh, the Hellenists to Antiochus Epiphanes and, and the other rulers that uh, came after him. Uh, he led that, Mattathias did. He forcibly, he and his followers, forcibly circumcised all the uncircumcised Jewish boys in Israel. So we find that in 1 Maccabees 2.46. In Paul's day, this same party that wanted to circumcise every male uh, were called the Judaizers. And it would appear that this group didn't have a whole lot of influence among the Corinthians because Paul only mentions it briefly and in passing uh, here. Uh, they did have influence in the Galatian region, and that's why you read in Galatians. Paul gets really harsh in Galatians. Okay, in Galatians 5, he says this. He says, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Ouch. Okay, that's what Paul was saying uh, about those who would push that on other people. So I just, I'm trying to show you that this was a significant issue uh, for these people, whereas to us, it's just kind of one of these preference deals, it's medical and so forth, right? But the Apostle Paul is, again, he's saying, if you're uncircumcised, don't get circumcised because you're, you're not gonna get any benefit out of it. If you are circumcised, don't try to get uncircumcised and become more like a Gentile because you're not going to get any benefit out of it. You see, we're always trying to change the externals, right? I'll go back to an example about this church again. We changed all kinds of stuff in this church. I mean, we put up that screen, projector. I got another big screen that goes behind me. We show movies on it. We, we change the chairs. We change the, you know, the, the, the 
carpet and we repainted it and we did all this. It doesn't change anything. <laughs> it doesn't get more people in here, right? It doesn't make us more spiritual. That happens when people get a hold of the Word of God and take it seriously, when they allow the Holy Spirit to move in them. And it doesn't matter if we're sitting in the old chairs that used to rip your jeans, right? It doesn't matter if we got this cool screen up here or we can put the scripture up there or not. None of that matters. Um, you know, we're going to do sorts of things like that to try to make the, the you know, the service, I guess, uh, better for you. But nonetheless, that's not what matters. The externals are not what matters or those types of externals. Um, so for us, the example would also apply to other external forms of religious expression. Uh, I would apply the example to those who, although they're Gentiles by birth, culture, and social position, insist upon acting Jewish. I don't know if you've ever been around folks like this. Um, they observe the Saturday is the Sabbath. That's our Seventh-day Adventist friends up the road. We met in their building for a while. They try to keep the Mosaic law. Um, they want everybody else to do the same thing. So I really got the impression, it seemed like a marriage made in heaven. Seventh-day Adventist worship on Saturday. Their building is available on Sunday. Hey, that's when we worship. So you go in and you lease their building on Sunday. Marriage made in heaven, right? But see, they just have this very, very strong conviction that there's really something wrong with you if you're not worshiping on the Sabbath and you're not keeping the Sabbath. So there's lots of folks like that and not just the SDA folks. What we need to see is you don't have to be keeping Old Testament laws and rules and regulations and growing your beard out and uh, you know observing the Sabbath and not eating certain foods and that sort of thing. The scripture says, Romans 10, 4, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. You become righteous not by keeping the law, but by following Jesus. You become righteous by permitting the Holy Spirit to come in and to change you. And then it's not like you're keeping these rules, these external rules. It's what you are and it's who you are. You're just acting out what is really in you. And then this from Romans 13, 8 through 10. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continued debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and whatever other commandment there may be are summed up in this one rule. You ready? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to the neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So that's what Jesus said. There's really only two commandments you need to worry about. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So um, I'm going to skip this next right here. This, this is controversial, but we need to hit it. He says, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Let me just back up for just for a moment. There are those who say the, the Bible supports slavery. And there were those in the earlier days of this country. And by the way, this country is not the only country in the world that was involved in the slave trade. In fact, it was around long before this country was ever founded. Um, it was an evil that existed for a very long period of time. The Apostle Paul wrote an entire letter called Philemon to a man about his slave Onesimus who had escaped and said, I want you to accept him and I want you not to treat him as a slave, but as a brother. 
But the Apostle Paul said, I wanted your permission. I didn't want to force it on you, but I'm just telling you, you know, as your father in the Lord, that you need to treat this man as an equal. And he has been a servant to me. He's been useful to me, right, out of his own heart, from his own choice. So before we get into all of this, the Bible supports slavery, we need to understand that that is the case in the New Testament and that the abolitionist movement was led by very, very strong Christian people. Now, there have always been so-called Christians, professed, purported Christians that have supported slavery in the earlier days. Question is, why didn't Paul call for slaves to be free, right? Why does he say here, if you're a bondservant, then don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, then do. Um, he was ever mindful of the need to ensure that the gospel was preached without causing civil unrest. Jesus didn't come to start a political movement, but a revolution of the heart. He came to make a way for lost human beings to be transformed citizens of the kingdom of heaven, a spiritual kingdom scattered among the political kingdoms of earth. In God's kingdom, listen to what the apostle Paul said in Galatians 3:28. there is neither slave nor free. Paul wanted the offense to be Christ, not a perceived challenge to social or political, the social or political structure of Rome, which would have quashed the Christian movement immediately. If they, if they came out with what to them, that is in Rome, would have seemed to be a political challenge, then uh, Christianity could have been snuffed out quite early on. Now, from the beginning, Christians were persecuted but they were persecuted and martyred because they wouldn't worship the Roman gods and more specifically, they wouldn't offer incense and worship the Roman emperor. But notice that this transformation of the heart caused people within the churches to treat each other with love and equality, right? Because we are the kingdom among the kingdoms. There's no male or female here. There is no slave or free here. That doesn't mean that you don't have a particular, uh, you know, uh, temperament and you don't have particular gifts and so forth, but we don't break it down like that. Everybody is equal at the foot of the cross. But outside the church, there are social structures and there are, there are expectations. And if we can change those, right, without causing civil unrest, then, then we change those. And if we can't, then we just, we do the best we can, right? So let's just look at the difference between someone who sought change as the result of not really intentional civil unrest, but passive resistance. Martin Luther King Jr., one of my longtime heroes. Um, he preached peace, but he was very pushy. He said, no, we're not gonna wait until later. We need to do this now. Because this was always the answer, later, later, equality, later, later, later. Well, these people were willing to suffer. These people were, were marching arm in arm and they were being beaten and they were being hit with fire hoses and everything else, but their hearts had been transformed and I think it, it is, the observation is valid. There was still so much Christianity in the country, although hypocritical Christianity, Martin Luther King's preaching and example hit the conscience of a lot of people. And they said, no, no, we can't be like this. And he literally changed the world. Um, and if we're gonna see change, we need to see change that begins in the heart like that. So what happens, let's, let's look at the difference between that and the protest that happened summer before last. 
Well, some of those protests were peaceful and they were valid, but there were other protests that were just not protests, they were riots and you know, there was looting and there were businesses that were burned. And these are business people that didn't have anything to do with the death of George Floyd for crying out loud. So there's a difference. And this is what the apostle Paul was seeking, I think, to say. Um, he was saying, we're not trying to start a political movement and cause social unrest. We're seeking to transform people through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, all right. So he repeats, so brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. He gives further examples to this precept in the balance of our chapter. He said, you were bought with a price, don't become slaves of men. So there, there's another reinforcement of the fact that Paul is not saying you're a slave, you're just always gonna be a slave, look at yourself as a slave. No, in fact, what he's saying is you need to look at yourself as Christ's freedman. You need to see that you are in fact free. You know, I don't know what you say to yourself, right? I don't know how you were treated when you were younger. But a lot of times, the way people talk to us when we're younger, we take that on as an identity, right? And we say those things over ourselves. You know, I hope, ladies, when you were younger, you had parents or brothers or sisters or grandparents or somebody that told you you were pretty, that told you that, that you know, uh, you were important, that made you feel important. Men, I hope you have people in your life that told you that you were significant and that, that you know, you're here for a reason and that sort of thing. But you know, that's not always the case. We have imperfect uh, parents and, and we have imperfect siblings and, and we have imperfect people that are you know, teachers in our lives. Um, I can't remember, I was reading, a, somebody posted something the other day. Uh, there was a guy that is a famous writer today and I don't even remember, and I don't know that you would know the author's name even if I had remembered his name, but this famous author posted, uh, when I was nine years old, he said, I turned in a paper to my teacher who said, wow, you're a really good writer. You should be a writer someday. And he said, I don't know that that teacher ever realized that it was that statement that she made to me all the way back then when I was nine that resulted in me pursuing this career. We see, you know, there are good teachers out there and there are bad ones. There are good preachers out there and there are bad ones. There are good parents out there and there are bad ones, right? There are good police officers out there and there are some bad ones. And as far as you and I are concerned, we need to stop saying these bad things, these negative things, these hateful things over ourselves. You're no account, you're nothing, you'll never amount to anything, you're ugly, you're weak, you're whatever, these horrible things. That's not what God says. That's not what he says about you, right? Um, so think of yourself the way God thinks, you, thinks of you and the way he thinks of you is, well, what does Christian mean? You know what Christian means? It means little Christ. He sees you as a son, as a daughter, as a little Christ, right? So you can be more like Jesus if you're a stay-at-home mom. You can be more like Jesus as a school teacher. You can be more like Jesus if you're a barista at you know the coffee shop two doors down. Um, you could be more like Jesus as a manager of a company. Um, what opportunities and advantages has God given to you? And you might say, well, none. Well, there's something out there for all of us, and sometimes we just need to seek and continue to seek until we find, right? Now, let me hit this last um, bulk of text here. 
you know what, I'm not. I'm gonna do this next week because it's almost eight o'clock right now. Um, just remember when you come back next week, we're gonna hit uh, verse 25 to the end of the chapter, okay? And uh, just a, you know, a little bit of a, a foreshadowing of that. The final uh, statement, I guess, that we, we should get across is he says, the appointed time has grown very short. The world in its present form is passing away. They believed that Jesus was coming back soon and the world wasn't gonna stay the same. You know what? We don't know when Jesus is gonna come back. I'm gonna say this to you. There's gonna be one world government and there's gonna be an antichrist and Christianity is gonna become illegal and Jesus is gonna come back and bring it all to an end. There has never been a time in human history when the entire world could be united the way it is today. You can talk to anybody all over the world right here. It's insane. Right now, our monetary system, it's all digital. It's fake. You realize that, right? Money's not real, there's nothing behind it. The government doesn't even print money. They just say, okay, there it is. So all that has to happen when you have a government that powerful that controls money and whether or not there is or there isn't money, then they can say, you don't believe the way we want you to believe. You haven't gotten vaccinated, have you? Right? You haven't paid your tax to the emperor, have you? Well, then you can't buy and sell. You need to get that chip in your hand. You need to get that chip in your forehead so we can scan you so we can track you. It's coming. So, you know, these poor people, they didn't know that the world wasn't gonna end 2,000 years ago. Listen, the world is probably 4.5 billion years old. 2,000 years is nothing. It's like that, like that. And I'm telling you, we're at the end of it. The end is coming, right? So live like that. Live like you're gonna stand before Jesus who is returning. Amen? All right, God bless you. God bless you guys.